0: As we would say in the South, that was plump, pretty, and it was, and it was. Well, it has been a good day today, and uh, very grateful for that. And we want to take our Bibles tonight and go to Second Timothy and chapter four. 2 Timothy chapter four. As I said in the prayer that I just prayed, I am grateful for. The older hymns that just speak volumes about our relationship with God and what He has done through us, with us and through us, or for us, through His Son. Very, very grateful of that. You know, this morning we talked about the importance of understanding that when you commit to follow Christ, that's more than just praying a prayer, that it, it really is a commitment for life. It's, it's, it's understanding that we have sinned against Holy God, and that we receive forgiveness by, by grace and through His Son. But then comes that commitment to follow. This easy, easy believism that just, again, just, just pray a prayer. Just pray a prayer. God expects no life change. He expects nothing. It's false. It's just false. There is a change when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. The second thing, though, is this. Is that in the game of life, as we said this morning, and, and what happens after the stuff it's that teaching that if we follow Christ, that things would go well. And I thought about this this morning as I was teaching my, teaching the sermon. I said, you know, think about it. You know, the scripture opens by saying Jesus started toward Jerusalem. So he's in the final legs of this ministry. If the rich young ruler had said, I'll follow you, he would have followed Jesus right into the, uh, if you will, the chaos of the cross. And I wonder what he would have thought. When he got there and saw all that happened in the coming probably two or three weeks, the chaos that happened there, what would he say to something like, what, what did I get myself into? What have I done? And so often when Christians make that commitment, expecting one thing and getting another, they kind of say, what have I got myself into? I want to tell you something, and we're going to hear it tonight from Paul, is that following Christ, again, begins with a repentant heart, understanding that that we are totally to pray and that we have sinned against Holy God. And then when we are redeemed from that through, the, through through grace, then our motivation for serving God should never be, okay, God, thanks for the salvation. What else you got? Thanks, God. What else do you have? We should be a people fully devoted to worshiping the one who died for us for the rest of our lives. Amen? That's it. That's it. Listen, here's what you just sang. My Jesus, I love thee. I know you are mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. That's what we're just saying. It's absolutely true. For wearing the crown of thorns, for going to the cross, for purchasing our salvation, we should be eternally indebted to our Lord and Savior. Now, we like it when things turn out well. I was talking to a sister right before church, and I said, how are you doing? Well, I guess I'm doing all right, you know. And, you know, I said, you know what? Life, here's what you, you know, life, it is what it is, amen. It is what it is. Life is, you know. That's one of those modern sayings they come up with, but it really is what it is. And Paul, as he comes down to the end, I think Paul would almost say, "Hey guys, it is what it is." We have here the, the the closing thoughts of a of a great man of God when he comes down to the end. And in it, and in it, you're going to see a personal testimony. You're going to see a personal transparency. You're going to see some personal needs. And then some personal warnings. And it very, it's wonderfully powerful scripture if you'll do this. If you'll understand that Paul was a guy. Paul was a guy who put his... Well, they wore, I'm not sure they wore pants. They wore the robe thing. But if they wore pants, he'd put his legs in one, time, one leg at a time. He didn't hover above the ground and jump into his pants. He was a guy who had sinned against God and again received forgiveness. That's who Paul was. He had no special powers, miraculous powers. He had the same exact power that we have as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's come now to the end of his life, and we get a glimpse of what's going on in his heart, his life, and his mind. And we begin in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6. The first chunk of these scriptures particularly are very, very, very famous uh, to followers of Christ, uh, famous scriptures uh, in the Bible. Now he says this, for I am already, verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, the, the imagery here is the, is the drink offering from the Old Testament that was offered along with the meat sacrifices. The lamb or the oxen, where it might be. And they poured out this wine before the Lord as a sacrifice. And Paul is saying that I'm already being poured out as a sacrifice. Now, what really makes this important is, because of what we're going to read here, Paul's about to die. And he's not dying of natural causes. His life is going to be taken from him as a martyr. And he sees the pouring out of his blood as this kind of a drink offering. But it's also this. Paul understands that from day one, he has been totally expendable to the Lord. That's a good place for an amen. Paul was totally expendable to the Lord. You know, if you if you've ever spilt things, if, if you spill you know, if you if you go to Dairy Queen and you buy one of those nine dollar blizzards, are they that much now? You, all, you know, it's almost to the point, you know, it's almost to the point where you've got to take out a mortgage to go to Dairy Queen. You know? Or talk somebody into buying your blizzard for you, one of the two. But you know, if you if you spill that blizzard on concrete. I don't tell anybody I said this, but I'm going to scoop the puppy up. All right, come on now. Come on. Hey, hey, hey. Four-second rule. Four-second rule. All right? If I can get it back in the cup fast enough, I'm going to drink the thing. All right? Not going to wait that. But, but you know, if, you throw it, if it spills in the sand, I, mean, I don't want a grainy blizzard. Okay? Go on. But, but you know what? If you spill water on concrete, it's salvageable to some degree. But if you pour water into the sand, it's gone. Is totally expended. Paul is saying, my life has been expended for God. And he is worthy of that because of what Jesus did for him. I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul knew he was about to die. We don't know. We, we, most of us have no clue of how long. Now, we know if we're 58, we're probably theoretically closer than we were when we were 30. But we do not know when death is going to come knocking at our door. But Paul knew because of his circumstances in a Roman prison that one day an executioner would come get him and he was going to die for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would not be very long. But at least one commentary that I read today ca- captured the thought of my departure. They said the word is often used two ways. It's one, a soldier, a camp of soldiers, that's breaking ground, or a ship that is leaving port. And what's so cool is, when these words are used in that direction, it's not a group of soldiers breaking camp to go to another camp. It's not a ship just leaving port to go to another port. It's a group of soldiers who are leaving breaking camp to go home home. It's a ship that's leaving port, not to go to another port, but a ship that is going home. And with that thought in mind, Paul says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I have been totally expended for God. And the time of my going home is near. That is what death is for the believer in Jesus Christ. Amen? It is a time of going home. Going home. Now, Paul says, and again, this is so famous, I have Fought the good fight. Just want to capitalize on a couple of key, key thoughts here. First, I have fought the good fight. Paul is saying, I have invested my life, and this is a, an athletic imagery, okay, of boxing or some sort like that. And it's the idea of fighting an opponent. And, and Paul says, I've not fought any fight. I fought the good fight. There are good fights in life. Come on. There are good fights for the Christian. And there are bad fights for a Christian. Unfortunately, we're better at the bad fights than we are at the good fights. We want to make mountains out of molehills, and we want to take things that have no eternal significance whatsoever, and we're ready to die on a hill for them. Choose your battles carefully. Choose the fights that you fight carefully. If you find yourself constantly in contention with with the things of God, bad fight. If you find yourself constantly in contention with true brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a bad fight. There are good fights, so we should be fighting against the things that God is against. Come on, come on now. Come on. Now listen, listen. Did Paul not write and say... Be angry and do what? Sin not. Did you know it's a good anger? A lot of us would do really, really good if we get fired up and get good and angry at the devil. If we got good and fired up about Satan, that's a good kind of anger. Call it righteous indignation, Call it whatever you want. But if we get fired up against the things that God's against get angry, that's a good kind of anger. But if we get angry about things that don't matter, that's where he says, Man, Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So Paul says... I have spent my life, since I trusted Jesus Christ, fighting the good fight. Now, he fought a bad fight, didn't he? Because he was the guy who put Christians in jail. Bad fight. He was the guy who, at least was a witness, and held the coat of those who stoned Stephen. Bad fight. Paul says, I have now fought the good fight. And the reason why? What Jesus Christ did for him. And then he says this, I have finished the race. He said, and again, the idea is that the race that God has set before me, I have finished that race. And, and it flashes back to Hebrews chapter 12. Seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Paul said, God had a certain race, a certain course for me that as an apostle I was to run. And I have almost finished that course. He didn't run Peter's race. He didn't run John's race. He ran Paul's race. And and he says, I have finished that course. And and the encouragement for us is, is for us to each one run the race that God has set before us. Not every course is the same guys in life. Each one of us has different talents. We have different abilities. But we are to run the race that God lays before us with patience, Paul later would say. And then he says this, I have kept... The faith. I have guarded the truth. Even in this book, uh, in First Timothy and Second Timothy, he was always combating the evil teachers. In the book of Galatians, those who wanted the uh, Galatians to go back under the law, he opposed that. He was a great guarder of truth. And we should be a great guarder of truth. Truth. We should should make this a life. Study of the Word of God One of our goals in life is to know as much as we can About the Word of God And then to guard the truth Of the Word of God Now here's what's cool When he says that I have, I have fought a good fight The fight was over But the victory lingered I have finished the course The race was over But the victory lingered He kept the truth But the victory lingered Where did it linger to? Beyond stuff uh, Look what it says. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And, and the thought here, you know, most theologians believe there are crowns that are going to be given out, perhaps at the Bema seat, the, the judgment seat of Christ, there'll be crowns given out. And this is a crown given to those who have lived righteously. We are going to heaven based on our positional righteousness in Jesus Christ. We are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. But there is a practical righteousness that we live out. And certainly Paul was worthy of that crown. He had lived a righteous life. He chose to live right in this wrong world. He chose to live right in this wrong world. And by the way, did you see the word I used? He chose. He chose. And it's always a choice. So he said, because of that, there's a crown of of righteousness, that's the what. The who is the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. And the when is when? On that day. On that day. But watch this. Not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's a crown, there's a crown, there's a crown of righteousness for us. There's a reward of righteousness Of a crown of righteousness for those who choose to live righteous lives, Betsy. So, Miss Queenie of the Red Hats, you can get another crown. And it's much better than that thing they give you with the Red Hats. Much better. Much better. Come on, amen? All right, now, look at this. Look at this transparency. I really... You know, come on. If you're writing a book, you would never put in there some of the things about... You would never have the greatest king of Israel, the story of uh, Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. You would kind of pull that from the book. There's lots of things that if I was writing the book that I would have pulled out of the book. Because they're kind of embarrassing. And they show the imperfection of people. I'm glad God put them in there. I'm glad God put verses 9 through 12. I'm glad that God put in there when John the Baptist called his disciples and said, Hey, listen, I'm in jail and this is not going down like I thought exactly would. And so, why don't you go and just check with Jesus and say, Are you, are you really the one? I'm glad that the Bible recorded that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the forerunner of Jesus, had some doubts. Because that way when I have doubts, I understand that, guess what? So did John. And here's the greatest teacher outside the Lord Jesus Christ, down to the final hours, and he's very, very transparent. Here's what he says. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Um, do everything you can to come to me quickly. Why? Because he's going to die. Timothy, if you're coming, you better hurry because it seems like I can hear the executioner's footsteps. The, the, the scuttlebutt on the road is, is that I'm not long... For this world. In fact, he said in verse 21 Do your utmost to come before winter. Well, one is, he's an older man now, and he may have been cold because he asked for the cloak later on, but he didn't expect to be there in the spring. So, Timothy, if you're going to come, you better come quickly. And then he says this For Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world, he's departed for Thessalonica. Demas was a guy that in Philemon 24, Paul called him a co-worker in the gospel. Over in Colossians 4 14, he's listed among the ones. Demas sends greetings. And now this man that Paul had trusted now forsakes him. And that's the idea. It wasn't that, it wasn't that that Paul was locked up and Demas said, you know. I I need to move on my life. Demas didn't want to be associated with the guy in jail. And it stung the heart of Paul. He loved the prestige. He loved the position. He loved the power of the world more than the power of the world to come. So Demas has forsaken him. And... And when he talks about uh, Christians and for Galatia and Titus for Dalmatia, those are simply guys that were going on the work. Those are not negative comments. They're just words that say, hey, these two guys are carrying on the work there. And he does this, only Luke is with me. Now, there were other friends. He's talking about ministry partners. People, you know there's a difference between an acquaintance and a friend. There's people you can call on that you know when you're in trouble and they'll stand with you. Well, Paul had... Paul had some other friends, but not the kinds he needed in the final days of his life. He said, in fact, only Luke, the beloved physician, is with me. But then he says this. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now, this is good. And I've shared this with you before, but if you only remember 10% of what a pastor says, then you probably need to hear it again. You know, when when Paul and Barnabas went on the great missionary journey, they took a guy with them. And who was it? John Mark. John Mark. And they got there, and things got a little hairy. And young John Mark said, got to go. When things got hot, he got going. And he abandoned Paul and Barnabas. Well, they got back home. And so finally, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let's hit the road again. Let's go check on the churches. Let's see how the churches are going. Barnabas, the encourager, said, That's a great idea. Why do you say we take old John Mark with us? And Paul said, "I don't, By the way, this is in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. If you haven't read, you need to read it. Paul said, Don't think so. You know, he's the one who deserted us when we really needed him. He turned his back on us. And Barnabas said, Now, come on, Paul. Now listen, everybody makes mistakes. You've made a mistake. Paul said he ain't going. And the Bible says the contention was so sharp between them that, that Barnabas took John Mark and went one way and Paul and Silas went another way. Do you know this stuff is in the Bible? See, y'all think bad fuss? These folks saw Jesus and they fussed. But you know what's really great is. Hey, Paul says, bring Mark. Say, Mark, John Mark, the the guy that deserted me. Yeah, that's old old news. You know, time for forgiveness. He said, You get Mark and bring him. Why? Because he's useful to me. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it great that God is a God of second chances? But isn't it great when believers and brothers are brothers of second chances? Certainly was true with Paul. Bring him to me. And then in verse 12, Tychius. Bring Tychus. And I sent him to Ephesus. Now, now here's one, one commentary. I saw it's kind of interesting. I'll give it to you. A lot of people believe, or at least two or three commentaries believe, that Tychus was going to be the bearer of 2 Timothy. He's going to be the bearer of 2 Timothy. And since it's going to Ephesus, to Timothy, then that Tychus would fill in for Timothy while Timothy went to see Paul. Just just interesting side notes, all it is. All right? So there we go. So now, Paul starts addressing personal needs. He says, Bring the cloak. Now, why do you think he wanted the cloak? It's cold. Isn't that, isn't that practical? Come on now. Isn't that cool that God's words, you know, Paul's an older man. Health is not good. He's in some kind of a Roman prison or, or house. All right? Winter's coming. So he says to Timothy, Hey, when you come, and be sure and come before winter. Bring the cloak. I, I left it with Carpus at Troas uh, when you come. And bring the books and especially the parchments. Now, we don't know all that that means. I've heard it taught one way that the books were probably personal writings of Paul and the parchments were scriptures. Or we know this for certain that parchments were more expensive than, than the books. Okay, But the bottom line is this. The parchments were more valuable than the books. And if they happen to contain the Old Testament Scriptures, what a beautiful statement that is of Paul's love for the Word of God. We should have a love for the Word of God. And then he ends up with this, this final warning. He says in verse 14, now y'all need to hear this. Alexander the coppersmith. Now you remember back in 1 Timothy one twenty, um, Paul turned... Um, Alexander and Hymenius over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. We do not know it was the same Alexander. There's probably a pretty good chance it was. Alright. But he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Then the second thing you remember, may the Lord repay him according to his works. Now, in the days we're living in, I wrote down his day, our day. Paul was opposed for his stand for the gospel. By lots of people. Some of them believers. Some of them supposed believers. I want you to understand, if this thing doesn't turn around, you will be opposed by some people you love and respect if you stand for Christ. You need to understand that. There is coming a day... No, it's here. It's here. If you take a biblical stand for marriage, uh, the stand on homosexuality, a sexual sin in general... We could go on and on. Integrity, character, thievery, lying. If you will take a biblical stand, there are people who will call you a bigot. There's people who will oppose you. And there may be a chance that if you work for certain companies, you may be denied promotions because of your stand. Um, one, one person told me this week. just came to my mind. She said, Dwayne, did you know that when it came time for my annual review... That I was written up, a business here in town, I was written up because I was too public with my Christianity. Right here in Harrisburg, with people you know. Go on and think about that one. Right here in town. And these are the days we're living in that when you take a stand for Christ, people will oppose you. And some of them have a name tag on their chest that says, Christian. Beware of that. But look what he says. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Paul later wrote, or earlier wrote in Romans chapter 12, he said, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. If you're hungry, if your enemy's hungry, what about if he's thirsty? He drink. Leave the vengeance to God. May the Lord repay him. Paul didn't try to repay him. May the Lord repay him according to his works. And then you also must be aware of him for he's greatly resisting our words. You just need to be a wise of the enemy. You need to be aware of the enemy that we're facing. Be aware of the days. Now Paul said, redeeming the times because the days are evil. Now, verse 16. He's not whining. Paul is not a whiner. At my first Defense. Now, this was not a previous imprisonment. They don't think. It was probably a grand jury was hearing. When he, when he was put in jail, there was a hearing there. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Now, you can't imagine that. Daryl, he had lots of friends. Oh, we like Paul. We like Paul. But when it came time to show up in court to testify on his behalf, that's nobody showed up. But look what he says. May it not be charged against them. Does that ring a bell with you? A prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross? Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Does it ring a bell with you with a guy who's fixed to be pelted with rocks? As Stephen cried out and said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. You know, when we're going to get hurt and wounded like, and if we can reach a point where we can say, Father, don't hold it against them. That is a giant step in our growth spiritually. And of course, Paul wasn't by himself. He says in verse 17, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. God never left Paul. In Hebrews thirteen five, the word declares Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You'll never, never walk alone. Hey, Paul, you'll never walk alone. Hey, John, you'll never walk alone. Hey, Bill, you'll never walk alone. Hey, Bill, over here, you'll never walk alone. God is faithful and will stay with you. And then finally, this little, oh, it's, it's wonderful. I also was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, we don't know if that was Nero, the emperor, or was it Satan himself. But the stronger God, if it was Nero, God is greater. If it's Satan, God is greater. If it's death, God is greater. Amen? God is greater. And what's this? And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, Satan, our king, you know something. that, that We think our God's going to deliver us. But, but if he doesn't deliver us, then we're still going to worship your old idol. We want you to know that. Because we believe our God is able. And Paul said, and we're probably talking about spiritual attack here for one thing. Hey, my God is able. And this written by the guy who's fixing to have his head whacked off. This written by a guy who's in a Roman prison. This written by a guy where people have forsaken him. People have wounded him. He said, my God is able. My God is able. And to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that cool? I tell you what. You can ask this woman. I get the flu, and I whine like there is no tomorrow. <laughs> Paul, with incredible faith, Paul, with incredible faith, said, I'm going to trust God Even as the sword touches my neck. Yeah, I've been wounded. I've been hurt. People abandoned me. I've gone through all that. But God never will forsake. me. And that brings us to this. The reason why Jesus gave us this was for us to remember. Because Jesus knew that the greatest thing He'll ever do for us is not a healing. It's not giving us a job. It's not making life more comfortable. The greatest thing Jesus did for us is shed His blood and have His body broken on the cross. And when He instituted the Lord's Supper on that Thursday night, he, He did it so we would remember. And I hope tonight that when life is what it is, when it's difficult, or when the sun's shining, now we'll remember this, that there is a man in Jesus Christ who loved us and he died for us. And because of him, we have the hope of something after the stuff. After we've, after we've lived our lives and it's our 50th or 60th high school class reunion, and one day... Randy Reed comes to our house and it's us. That that is not the end. It's the beginning. And it's all because of what this represents. Amen. Let's bow our heads right now. And let's just kind of prepare our hearts. You know, Paul, when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he he wanted to make it clear we understood that that we should prepare ourselves. Now, Now, again, He says we should never take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You know, truthfully, none of us are worthy in the sense only that God made us worthy. There's nothing we can bring to the table tonight and make us worthy. But Jesus did make us worthy. But but he said that we should not take it in an unworthy manner. And what would that be? That's making light of it. I really think if there's anything in your life right now um, that you need to confess to God, now's a good time to do it. If I, as I was preaching tonight, when I was talking about demons, your demons came to your mind. And the thoughts that you had about your demons were not good. When, when I read about Paul saying, everybody's forsaken me, you thought about some people who abandoned you, and the thoughts were not good. When I thought about the fighting part, and you've got some bad fights in you, you realize you've been fighting sometimes even against God himself. That's not good. Maybe now's a good time to say, okay, God, I want to get this right with you tonight. I almost say, Dwayne, I know Paul. Yeah, you are. The same Holy Spirit lived in him, lived in you. The only thing that's different about you and Paul is Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. And he really meant it, he wasn't using a metaphor. When he measured what he did against the church, he called himself the chief of sinners. So I'm going to leave this in a time of prayer if, if anything's going we'll to get right with God. Now, y'all, I think we're pretty much a home crowd tonight, but we, of course, practice uh, communion with the body of Christ. That is an open communion. And if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper tonight. You have to be a member of this church to do that, or even a Baptist, as far as that goes. But it is for followers of Jesus Christ. So we invite you to partake with us. Lord, we thank you tonight for your holy word and I thank you for my brother Paul and uh, Father, what an incredible example he was and I thank you for his transparency because Father, the truth is um, he struggled like we did and like we do so I thank you for that God, I thank you for these folks tonight Lord, for the ones that are at the concert the young people Oh, Father, give them a great time and say worship you there But, Father, we are glad tonight to have this opportunity to worship you here in this place. Jesus, thank you for the supper. Really, thank you for what the supper represents. For spilled blood and for a broken body. That we could have forgiveness of sins and come into relationship with you and your Father. So, may your name be praised in this time of our service. And, Jesus, I pray it in your precious name.